Welcome to the Wirecard Saga, a podcast with Tom Fox and Mikhail Ryder-Gordon, Managing Director of Institutional Ethics and Integrity at Affiliated Monitors. Over this podcast series, we're going to take a deep dive into the Wirecard Saga to see where it may take us literally across the globe. Mikhail Ryder-Gordon and myself continue our exploration of all things Wirecard with our First episode in 2020, the Family Tree Edition. Wirecard is a presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network and now a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thank you, Tom. It's good to be back. We have been away for some time, but we are back from our holidays and vacation However, listeners, the card did not take time off. Whilst the rest of us were singing carols, gorging, and celebrating that 2020 was finally over, no fewer than two different governments and a short seller quietly filled our Christmas socks with new and damning information about Wirecard and its recent past activities. Oh yes, the gifts just kept coming well into January. The Bundestag Investigative Committee published some answers quietly provided by the German government. Austria's parliament let slip some intriguing information about our favourite malfeasant, Jan Marsalek, and linking us back to German politicians. And there was another short-seller report released. That's right. You heard correctly. In fact, let's start with that short-seller report. Now, One could be forgiven for thinking shorting Wirecard stock a fairly futile exercise at this juncture, and you'd be correct. However, the report from Shadowfall Capital Research, and folks, you know the investor behind Shadowfall is none other than Matthew Earle, co-author of the Satara report. Go all the way back to episode two if you've forgotten. So perhaps thinking that they were giving the market an early Christmas present, on December 23rd, Shadowfall released a report accompanied by a letter from Earl directed to Dubai-based company Network International LLC regarding Network's acquisition of the DPO Group back in July 2020. Now, listeners, I realize... These are all new names. So let's get everyone up to speed on who's who in this zoo. Because Shadowfall's report and accusations about DPO and Network International, they don't just relate to Wirecard. These entities tie directly to another massive fraud that also came to light in 2020. That involving B.R. Shetty and NMC. Now, the Shadowfall report didn't fully dive into this because their target is Network International's seemingly irrational purchase of DPO. However, with a little bit of digging, what comes to light is both intriguing, eh, at least from the skeptic investigator's dispassionate compliance-oriented perspective, and alarming, as the nexus between Wirecard and Shetty's fraud and quite possibly what we might think of as Wirecard Rideau. So, let's hit that pause button for a moment and get everyone up to speed on Bhavagatu Raghuram, or B.R. Shetty, as he's known. So, B.R. Shetty and his diverse portfolio of companies, now all under investigation or insolvency proceedings. Back up a moment. 
Shetty is an Indian-born businessman who went from supposedly having only $8 in his pocket when he arrived in the UAE back in the 70s to Forbes estimating Shetty's personal fortune in 2018 to be around $4.2 billion. Shetty, until spring of 2020, was in the top 100 richest people in India. He founded and owned it, NMC Health, a former FTSE 100 healthcare group. He also founded Neopharma, BRS Ventures, and expanded his empire into advertising, pharmaceuticals, retail ventures, and financial services and information tech, particularly fintech, including a company called Finabler, of which you will soon hear so much more. Ah, but the similarities don't stop there. Hang on to that fintech India UAE Nexus thought for a moment, because your tingling spidey senses, they're spot on. NMC Health is what precipitated the grand implosion of Shetty's empire in 2020. At the company's height, NMC's largest investor was Sheikh Mansour bin Zayed Al Nayan, UAE Deputy Prime Minister. Now, he was heavily invested in MNC through his entity Centurion Investments. And let's put this all in context for a moment. MNC's IPO on the London Stock Exchange in 2012 was not only a first for an Abu Dhabi-based company, but it raised £117 million. So this was sizable. Two years later, in 2014, Shetty acquired UK-based Forex company Travelex, a global retail currency trader, and for the privilege, he paid about $1 billion for it. Actually, one, 1 billion euros. Remember, Forex, if you don't remember, see episode 11. Now, Travelex was no small startup fintech. But in spring of 2020, you know when Wirecard's cars were careening off the rails? It was discovered some $4 billion was missing from NMC's books. Now, this figure was hitherto undisclosed loans kept off the balance sheet for years. <laughs> you thought WireGuard's implosion was spectacular? The losses due to this fraud eclipsed WireCard by nearly three times over. Oh, and did I mention EY was the auditor of NMC? I told you the similarities and connections were solid. Okay. How did this massive fraud get revealed? A short seller, again. This time, the hedge fund Muddy Waters. Back in August of 2019, Muddy Waters allegedly alleged an accounting, quote, fiasco, and those are Carson Block's words, that suggested MNC was potentially really insolvent and likely facing a liquidity crisis. Now, just like Wirecard, EY had been the auditor of MNC for a number of years. In fact, as far back as 2012, ever since the IPO. And, not unlike the close ties between Wirecard senior execs and EY, NMC's audits had been questioned by investors because MNC's board included former EY partners. No conflicts there. But then, EY earned some... Mm, 14 million pounds in audit fees from NMC for the seven years they served as auditors, so mm, you can understand why those partners may have been reluctant to look a little too closely at the MNC cash cow. 
After all, it isn't as if auditors have fiduciary duties. Oh, wait. Oh, curse those legal and ethical obligations. Okay. So one of the biggest criticisms levied and what alerted and concerned Muddy Waters was that tight relationship between EY and MNC. So much so that Block described what he called the coziness between the former EY partners on MNC's board and the current partners troubling. And you know what? He was absolutely right to wave a warning to the marketplace. And as if the MNC debacle wasn't bad enough, EY was also the auditor of one of Shetty's other big companies, Finabler. And Finabler bears some striking resemblances to Wirecard. Now, don't worry, I know it feels like we're off base, but you know how this works. I'll close the loop and tie it all up in a pretty bow for you in just a few minutes. So just hold tight to all these various names and players, because they're important, and they're going to come up in the rest of this story. So Block's evaluation of the risks and conflicts of interest were spot on, because after Block's allegations, MNC conducted an internal investigation and discovered billions in debt that had not been disclosed to investors. Once the insolvency administrators were called in, because recall, this is a publicly traded company listed on the London FTSE 100, you know, a bit like Wirecard on the German DAX, they went on to determine that in all likelihood, the fraud began at the time of the IPO. You know, when EY started to keep watch over the accounts. In fact, the fraud is now believed to include false accounting, forged invoices and kickbacks, amongst other misdeeds. It is so bad that a billion billion, that's with a B, dollar lawsuit has been filed against EY in London, and the UK Financial Reporting Council is investigating EY's conduct with respect to NMC's 2018 audit. Only one year thus far. Okay. Now, EY had apparently drawn attention to at least one Indian bank, Bank of Baroda, who had confused NMC's bank accounts with those of Shetty's personal accounts. Yikes. Baroda told EY that, oh, oh, yeah, oops, our bad. We just, quote, incorrectly tagged some of the accounts. No worries. So what did they do? EY proceeded to reconcile the bank accounts and signed off on the MNC accounts, telling the audit committee there were deficiencies in the controls with respect to the bank balances, and NMC suggested, you know, strengthen their controls with respect to dealing with banks. EY even noted, wait for this, how tight Shetty and bank officials were. But hey, nothing to worry about there. What is it about EY auditors and bankers' abilities to make them believe impossible things? Think Wirecard in the Philippines. What the hell? Okay, MNC's undisclosed debt now stands at some $6.6 billion. From the UAE's largest healthcare provider that employed some 20,000 people to, yeah, nada. So MNC goes into administration. Shetty loses his seat on the MNC board. He's under investigation in India, the UK, and the UAE. And the financial malfeasance identified at MNC prompts investigations into other Shetty companies, including Finabler. 
Now, accusations fly. Shetty continues to maintain his innocence. <laughs> it's like, do you think Marcus Braun and Shetty are like WhatsApp buddies? You can kind of see them messaging one another. Hold strong, dude. You're misunderstood. Believe in your own ignorance. You can do this. Anyway, we digress. So, the chief executives, respectively, of MNC and Finabler are brothers, Prasant and Pramod Mangat, and they now stand accused of embezzlement, corruption, money laundering, eh, the list goes on. And Shetty, UAE news outlet, scooped that Shetty had paid out hundreds of millions from MNC to business ventures belonging to his family members just prior to MNC's collapse. Those family businesses, they were of the sort that never quite seemed to turn a profit, like a holding company for a falafel chain. Uh-huh. So, again, similarities to Wirecard, just prior to collapse, money goes pouring out the door to entities unrelated to the company. But they're not all entities that purely belong to Shetty family members. Again, put that in your pocket. Here we go. Now, let's turn our attention to Finabler, because this is where it really starts to get interesting. Shetty acquired Finabler back in 1980 from a UAE remittance house, and it served as a financial services holding company for him. It was listed on the London Stock Exchange, and was being the operative word here now. When Shetty acquired Travelex in 2014, it was brought in under Finabler, and Finabler had dozens of financial services brands, primarily focused on remittances, payment services, including business-to-consumer, payment processing, digital payment services, including digital gifts, and e-commerce. In other words, the same spaces Wirecard played in. Some of the brands Finabler held included Remit to India, Nuvo, Buy and Pay, Ditto, and Ditto Bank. Yeah, that's right. They, too, had their own little bank, just like Wirecard. RippleNet, Switch, Express Money, Times of Money, UAE Exchange, and Unimoney. Largely, these entities focused on the Indian market and on NRIs, that's non-resident Indians, living and working in the Gulf states. As MNC was unspooling, Finabler disclosed in February 2020 that Shetty, via his company BRS Ventures and Holdings, had pledged some 56% of Finabler's shares as collateral against some of those MNC borrowings. Oops. Ditto Bank, owned by Finabler, it folded first. Trading in Finabler was suspended by the LSE in mid-March 2020 as the company was on the brink of collapse because, well, mm, some hundred million of hitherto undisclosed financing had come to light. By the end of March 2020, Finabler's shares had tumbled 90%. An insolvency administrator was brought in and an independent investigation into Finabler accounts was launched. Oh, and EY quietly resigned as Finabler's auditor on March 29, 2020. By April 20th, Finabler's administrator had identified some $1.3 billion in hitherto undeclared debt and told the market that some of the borrowed money may have been used for other purposes outside of Finabler's business. In fact, it looks now as if just prior to Finabler's IPO in 2019, 
checks were written by Finabler Group companies, some of those fintech brands I just mentioned, which may have been used as security for financing arrangements for the benefit of third parties. In fact, it was so bad the UAE central bank stepped in back in that spring when all was going to hell in a handbasket and took control of Finabler. A few weeks ago, Finabler was sold to a joint UAE-Israeli investment group for a whopping $1. Now, don't worry, I haven't forgotten the Shadowfall report. We're working our way there. But let's go back a few years and take a closer look at some of the entities Finabler operated, like Travelex. Okay, here we go, back into our time machine, you know how this goes. Back in 2016, an important year, as you'll soon see, Travelex and Wirecard, yes, our Wirecard, announced a joint venture, mm, a new supercard that combined MasterCard and a mobile app. Wirecard was the issuer on behalf of Travelex. And thanks to Travelex, users would receive MasterCard's wholesale exchange rates on foreign purchases. Now, this joint venture folded less than a year later, with Travelex mumbling quietly about the costs of the endeavor. But there is more. In 2018, UAE Exchange, a Finabler company, rebranded as Unimoney for its operations outside of the UAE. And executives that found their way to Unimoney? Well, they'd previously been executives at Wirecard. Wirecard Senior Director and Head of Business for Wirecard Indi India, Chidi Babu, he left Wirecard just when things were heating up over at Wirecard Asia in 2019 and moved over to Unimoney in India to become Global Head of Payments and Digital Solutions. Matthew James, formerly of Al Ansari Exchange, you know, the Wirecard partner in a joint venture as recently as 2019. According to his LinkedIn profile, he slid over to become head of retail sales and services at Unimoney. And now we come to the Shadowfall report and who else from Wirecard has been playing with some of the companies linked to Finabler. Now, recall I said that the report was focused on Network International and the DPO group. Okay. First thing to know about the DPO group, it was founded in 2006 by Wirecard X, now former, and convicted money launderer Dietmar Nokelman. Remember him? And if you've forgotten, go see episodes 4, 7, 10, 11. Uh, just a quick reminder, Sada Bank, Christo Georgiev, Wookie, Mauritius Shell Companies, Binary Options, and Thug Life. Okay, remember him? So, Nokelman, Wirecard executive at the time, and his co-founders of DPO Group, fellow Israeli partners, Meyer Offer Gott and Aaron Feinstein. These are the three. And moreover, according to German Companies House reports, Nokelman co-owned with Gott and Feinstein Akona Online, GmbH, based in Frankfurt. In fact, Feinstein was the manager of Acona, and it oversaw its Nairobi-based operations. Now, pay attention to all of that, okay? Acona Online? Acona was sold to DPO back in 2013, whilst Nokelman was still an executive with Wirecard. But according to German public records, Feinstein was running it 
with Nokelman as recently as 2014. DPO claims they didn't get around to, quote, liquidating Acona until 2018. Now, remember Nokelman and his partner, John Carbone, the ones who'd sold uh, to Wirecard, the entity that would become Wirecard Payment Solutions? Okay, hold DPO, Nokelman, Feinstein, and Gatt to one side. Nokelman had multiple companies, and when Acona was being run with Feinstein and Gatt, Acona had its office in Nairobi. Now, it's a wonder, given how busy Nokelman was, what with money laundering and binary option scams, not to mention his involvement running the dodgy Wirecard UK in Ireland, Wookie, it is a wonder he had any time to give to Acona. According to profiles of DPO in Forbes and Kenyan Media, DPO, having acquired Acona, appears to have held on to it for a few years using Acona's office in Nairobi. In 2016, DPO, that is, Gatton Feinstein, Nokelman now with only a minority holding in Acona, gets financing from a London-based group called Opus Partners. Opus Partners is run by Matteo Stefanol and Udian Goyle. And conveniently, Stefanol and Goyle were already partners with Gatt and Feinstein in other corporate entities. <laughs> Gatt had incorporated 3G Direct Pay Limited in Ireland initially back in October 2012, adding to the entity's directors Stefanol, Goyle, and a fellow named Peter Harvey in September 2016. A few months prior to that, in April 2016, Goyle, Stefanel, Feinstein, Gatt, and this time, a chap named John Dawson, had become directors of 3G Direct Pay Holdings Limited, which had also been formed in 2012, but as a shelf company. The address in Ireland for both 3G Direct Pay and 3G Direct Pay Holdings? The same address as Wirecard UK Ireland, Wookie, and the same as Grey Mountain Management, remember the global, global binary option scam run by the Cartoo brothers and Liam Granger with proceeds running through Wirecard? Moreover, that, that was Grey Mountain. Moreover, DPO's initial company secretary? None other than Liam Granger. And a director appointed, appointed to DPO? Bob Richmond, who also served as directors to Grey Mountain Management both Granger and Richmond. Granger had also been a director of Wirecard Payment Solutions. And Nokelman had served as director of a company also with the same address called G2Pay Limited. Hmm, G3, G2. Also tied in Andy Quinn, he of Wirecard Payment Solutions and some of Nokelman's other entities, had served as DPO's auditor. Mm -hmm. Andy Quinn, Nokelman's partner, served as DPO's auditor. <laughs> so, alongside Wookiee, 3G Direct Pay, Grey Mountain, Chorus Ireland, and a litany of other entities related to WireGuard and its dirty former executives, are the companies and directors who comprise DPO. Now, Wookie's physical office was at this same address, but in the suite next door, same address, different suite, 
Conveniently situated is Gottel Limited, which offers incorporation services as well as what they term bespoke company secretarial services. And one can't help but note that the company Production Chemical Libya is also housed at the same address run by Gottel. That company claims a presence in Libya, you know, where Marsalik was playing, along with offices, but no people, just mail drops, in the UAE, Nigeria, Uganda, Angola, Kazakhstan, and Pakistan. Anyway, just an observation. So, a nexus of companies, a nexus of companies and overlapping directors all involved in payment processing and tying back to Wirecard. Where were we? Oh, yes. And 3G partner John Dawson, he, along with Jackie Dawson, just happened to also be directors of a company called Cardnet Limited, tied to a payments group back in Zambia. Here we go, back to Africa. You remember the Nairobi office? Okay. So with Opus named as the financer, and really this is Stefan and Goyle, DPO goes on a bit of a shopping spree in Africa. They acquired five companies in four years, including Paygate Plus, Payfast, SID Secure EFT, and Virtual Card Services, VCS. In an interview with Nigeria's Business Day in 2016, Stefanel claimed DPO went from processing 50 million annually to 2 billion and grew from a presence in only two African countries to being in 19 of them, all in just four years. Fast forward to July 2020, and Network International makes a move to buy DPO. Now, another important tidbit here to be aware of is this. Staffanel, you know, our Opus investor partner of DPO and Wirecard-related companies, was on the board of Network International. He told the Nigerian press that he, quote, follows NI with affection. I'm sure you do, Matteo, because he also told the press, although in this instance he suddenly claimed a rather hazy memory, the firm he was with prior to forming Opus, the Abraj Group, was also an investor in Network International. Oh, and then he let slip that as a matter of fact, one of NI's board members just also happens to be a board member of Opus. Oh, this is cozy. Staffanel claimed they, DPO, had spent a, quote, a lot of time brainstorming with NI. Well, I expect you have, given that you also admitted that during the purchase process, NI, Network International, counted DPO's merchant base and came up with 50,000. DPO's count claimed 100,000. Doesn't this sound creepily similar to the Wirecard playbook? Stefanol attributes the 50% difference because he, quotes, think we, DPO, count them, merchants, differently. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, and I almost forgot one last great little tidbit. Stefanol, before Opus, former Deutsche Bank. <laughs> okay, so, Shadowfall, what was their issue? Well, for one, they noted the whole interrelatedness of Nokelman, Stefanel, Gott, Feinstein, and Goyle, and the tie-back to Wirecard, DPO, and NI-sharing directors and board members. You know, the whole, this smells like self-dealing and you got some explaining to do. But what really got Shadowfall going were some of the acquisitions that both DPO and NI had engaged in leading up to NI purchasing DPO. 
we should have initiated. Yeah, actually, when I think about this, we should have initiated a drinking game for this episode where every time listeners hear of a cannily similar circumstance to Wirecard, they have to take a drink. All right, better late than never. Start now. Shadowfall observed that back in summer of 2019, DPO had acquired PayFast Limited. Remember that shopping spree they went on with Opus's money? Okay. DPO acquired some 84% of the equity in PayFast for a net consideration of just over $17 million. But according to PayFast, they only generated some $3.8 million in revenue in the last five months of 2019, suggesting a pro forma annualized revenue of $9 million. In other words, DPO really overpaid for this acquisition in Africa. Remember, this was Wirecard's so-called strategy in Asia. Drink! Basically, DPO appears to have paid net consideration of two and a half times PayFast pro forma revenue. Not only is this overpayment seemingly unjustified, Shadowfall calculated that it appeared PayFast contributed some 37% of DPO's pro forma revenue. But just under a year later, DPO, and this is literally weeks before Network International is going to buy them, stated in its filing of July 2nd, 2020, quote, material uncertainty in relation to a going concern, referring to page, a page in their 19, uh, fiscal year 19 annual report. That is, they aren't seeing revenue come in, despite paying two times what they should have paid for PayFast the company that would account for over 30% of DPO's revenue but doesn't seem to be generating income. DPO then says in its report, in the, me- quote, in the meantime, the group, DPO, continues to rely on the support of the shareholders in order to fulfill ongoing capital requirements. Uh, read, make payroll. Okay, tuck this DPO PayFast deal in your pocket. I know your pockets are feeling a little full right now, but it's all coming together. Remember Finabler companies, which may have been writing checks as security for financing arrangements for the benefit of third parties, right? Remember that money? Okay. Well, back in 2012, Network International purchased an India-based remittance company, Times of Money, and its brand Remit to India. And they paid some $71 million for the privilege claiming it was part of a, quote, strategic effort of growth through acquisition. And that with the Times of Money purchase, Network International would gain entrance into the online remittance business in 15 countries, including the Philippines and other Southeast Asian countries. Drink! But then what happened? NI, only five years later, sold Times of Money and remit to India to Finabler, for only $17.7 million. The significant loss was attributed to, quote, discontinued operations. <laughs> okay, let's call Times of Money Tom, and let's take a closer look at that $17.7 million purchase. When the Tom businesses were first acquired by NI, by Network International, despite being based in India, Tom was held under a Singaporean entity, Network International Investment PTE Limited, or as we'll call them, NII. And here's the kicker. NII 
was registered to the same address as Wirecard Asia, as well as other Wirecard-related resellers. When NI opted to sell certain parts of the greater Tom business, specifically Tom's Technology Services Private Limited, we'll call them uh, TTSPL. Okay, that's a bit of a mouthful, but we'll figure it out. Call it Tom's Technology. There we go. Well, okay, so when they, Network International, opted to sell off parts of the greater Tom business in August 2017, particularly Tom's Technology, what Shadowfall found was that NI's perspective detailed that this sale was for $12.9 million. However, NII, that Singapore and holding company, disclosed that Tom's technology was sold for $14.95 million. Guess who bought Tom's technology? Finabler! But Finabler claimed it acquired Tom's technology out of Singapore at Wirecard's address for $15.3 million in cash. Quick math, folks. <laughs> no, you're right. The numbers don't add up. When NII then went on to sell the remaining bits of Tom in November 2018 and again to Finabler, NI's IPO prospectus and its fiscal year 19 annual report indicated that the final part of Tom was sold to Finabler for $4.8 million in cash. But Finabler reported it acquired Tom for $4.8 million in cash, but it came with U.S. dollars $6.8 million in additional cash. As such, Finabler reported a $2 million cash inflow as compared to NI's also reporting a cash inflow, inflow but for $4.8 million in its investment cash flow. Okay. Shatterfall identified NI, Network International, detailing operating losses of some $5.6 million in fiscal year 16, rising to $11 million in fiscal 17, and dropping back to losses of only $4.1 million in 2018. But these figures apparently don't include, didn't include, the significant impairment losses and foreign exchange-related losses when compared with NII's filings, Tom's filings, or Finabler's filings. Drink! In late July 2020, after Wirecard's very public meltdown, NI issued a press release stating it intended to purchase DPO from Gat Feinstein et al. for $288 million. Now, to fund this wee acquisition, it separately looked to raise some $262 million. According to the Shadowfall report, NI announced a few weeks later that in conjunction with this purchase of DPO, it would spend nearly $12 million on due diligence and advisory fees. And then, after Shadowfall published its report and asked some of these awkward financial questions, NI released what they called a, quote, business update on the 21st of December, stating, quote, DPO has been a customer of certain European payment companies, acquirers, that are or may have been, are or may have been, connected with Dietmar Nokelman or certain of his associates, together with Acona, the 
relevant entities, and these acquirers were used to process volumes for the European cardholders purchasing travel services from DPO's merchant customers in order to reduce processing costs. <laughs> in other words, yeah, tied to Wirecard, you got it. DPO is to be acquired on a 12 times its financial year 2019 pro forma revenue. 12 times, even though it has acquired its revenue on what researchers are now, analysts and researchers are calculating to be between one to two and a half times the sales. Less than a year ago, DPO acquired around 37% of its pro forma revenue on two and a half times its sales. And now, financial analysts and short sellers have highlighted that this significant markup in value in such a short period of time bears, again, remarkable similarities to when Wirecard acquired the Indian business GI Retail. Remember how well that went? Shadowfall said they believe the major pre-IPO shareholder, who happens to be, well, Network International's major customer, may have been incentivized to boost NI's numbers ahead of the IPO. And then said, you know, we're unconvinced that these losses were attributable to discontinued operations uh, and were entirely related to the disposed businesses. Moreover, nowhere in NI's announcement or reports about buying DPO is there a disclosure that this was more of a friends and family sort of deal as buying from Stefanol and Goyle was really more of what we call a related party transaction. So yes, we have acknowledged at least some of our Wirecard antecedents. But as we note here, the family tree has deeper roots than that. Thanks to this deal, we are now only too aware of the links between two of the biggest financial scandals of the past decade. Quite the crimmy gift, this one. But then remember how I always say Wirecard was never intended to be legit. Just one more example of Wirecard is nexus to transnational crimes. Okay, let's unwrap another prezi. This one from the Bundestag Investigative Committee. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Wirecard Saga. The Wirecard Saga is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to visiting with you again in the new year.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>